sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. But I think most people in America feel like once you've paid your debt to society, maybe you should have the opportunity to go out and vote um, and at, at least exercise your constitutional rights. But if you're in prison, if you have created, committed a crime like the Boston Marathon bombings or if you've assaulted or abused a child, I don't think Americans would, most Americans would want people like that to vote. Today I'm announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. I've known Joe over the years. He's not the brightest light bulb in the group, I don't think. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Amen to that. That is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And we can never forget that. If we place all of our hopes in him, everything else will fall into place beautifully. Thanks for being here today. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So excited to be with you one more time before the weekend. Guess what? Still in Tupelo, jamming. I'm in like the original, original studio. So new bucket list item. Stacy on the right broadcasts from every studio at AFR. It doesn't have to be this visit, obviously, but every studio at AFR, um, I have to broadcast from here. Now, here's the secret about that. And my old job, we, we won't say where it was, but where I used to do radio, there were like 20 studios. And I just, I'll say through the grace of God, because I certainly couldn't have orchestrated it myself. I actually did broadcast, guest host, or do promos from every single studio in that building. And it was a pretty good sized building, like a high rise building with a huge like parking garage behind it. And the first level of it on one side, like half of that was all studios. Like so 40 percent of the first floor was studios. And some of them were about the size of this room that I'm in, although this one's really unique. I've never sat at a one, two, three, four, five, six. So a six sided table that's also a circle. I've never sat at one of those before. So that check that off my list. But. I did go into all of those studios, and so it was like a running joke there. They called me the guest host extraordinaire, and this is before I had my own show. They would actually come into work at like 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'd be in a studio doing a show. Sometimes they'd be there at like 10 o'clock at night. Someone would swing by because they forgot something, and I'd be in a studio doing a show. Guest filling, of course. And so um, that's how I got my chops. That's how the Lord allowed me to grow as a radio person so that I could be of the caliber that I would eventually end up someplace like this. And so I count it all to be a blessing But I wasn't actually aware. So, you know, I've been here twice. And the last time I was here for the Marriage and Family Conference last summer, I didn't actually come to the American Family Association building. I didn't need to. I just went to Hope Church, which is also in Tupelo. And that's where the whole conference was held. So between the hotel and the church, I didn't make it over here. Now, the time before that was at least, I think maybe almost two years ago, I was here for Sherathon. And I did broadcast from here, but from the Urban Family Talk studio, which is just around the corner in this building, like right down the hall. So... I was in there and I broadcast my show during the day and I never even made it down past this large room, which is now the phone center, to see the big studio. So I remember one time Will was like, you know, in the big studio, I'm like, I don't know which one that is. He's like, you never saw it. You were here for three days and you didn't see it. I'm like, no, I didn't see it. So now I broadcast from there. I broadcast from my own studio H. I broadcast from Urban. I broadcast from the original original, which is this studio. So if there's anything left, I'm going to go through and count. Oh, next door, there's production studio A. So I will need to record some promos and I will have to go into that room, I imagine, unless Devin says, let's just do it in in here. What's this one called? Studio C. Okay, Studio C. So live from Studio C, Stacey Washington. Uh, I'm also the Second Amendment Foundation's 2018 Journalist of the Year and the co-chair of National Center's Project 21, our National Advisory Council, Project 21, So today on the show, we're going to chat with my girl, Cassie Smedley from the RNC. 
She's going to talk about this uh, Joe Biden announcement. Yeah, guys, he's in. Apparently, he let a video out. <clears throat> he's ready to massage your shoulders and sniff your hair and all for your vote. All you got to do is vote for him and he'll massage you and sniff you and he'll make you feel special. So all we got to do is get ready. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm not ready. My husband already said if someone did that to me and he was around, that person would be waking up from off the floor. And my husband's not violent at all, except when it comes to people touching me. So <laughs> let's get into the program. Um, I just let in with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I have to say that because I think we're getting away from it. So I want all of us to kind of think as we sit through um, and you're getting ready to have your meal and you get ready to pray over your food, you can just think the supremacy of Jesus Christ makes this meal possible and then pray for our president and our country. Revival, revival, revival. Now, I have to talk to you today about how liberals have actually admitted to the Supreme Court of the United States that illegal immigration increases their power, not just in Congress, but overall through throughout the federal budget. Monies are spent on on based on the census. And these different liberal areas have told the Supreme Court now actually written it on paper that they need illegal immigration to maintain what they already have or increase it. So we're going to talk about that. Um, right now, I want to get to this. This is this is something that this week I've just been kind of mulling it over and trying to figure out what Bernie Sanders is trying to do. And I actually think I know. Let, let me let me share it with you before we get to the CNN anchors. Now, you you guys know I have no love for Chris Cuomo and uh, his best friend, Don Lemon. He calls him D Lemon. Like, that's cool. Anyway, I, I don't ask me. I'm not cool anymore. We could ask my kids. Next time the kids are on the radio, I'm going to ask them, is it, just, is it just anybody who can shorten their name up to the first letter and the last name, and that makes them cool? They'll probably say no. Anyway, so the Democrats are okay with terrorists voting. Not all of them. I'm not going to malign you all, you Democrats who listen to the show. God bless you and thank you for your ears. But CNN anchors uh, Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon are stunned about it. And this all comes from Bernie Sanders saying um, that he feels like everyone should have the right to vote. Even if you're in prison, you should get the right to vote. Now, what I think he's doing is he's actually been congratulated on television. And we've all admitted, even I have, we've admitted that what he did last election cycle in running was he normalized socialism. And this is such a huge thing for socialism to be normalized in America because we crush socialism. We have been instrumental in bringing down communism, which is just socialism heavy. Um, socialism is communist light. Um, we've we crushed it like we're the country that rode out. The women came out of the homes and took off their aprons and put on jumpsuits and riveted together tanks uh, that hold fuel and bombs and made bullets and, and put together all of the machine parts for our military. The husbands went off to war and dropped bombs and we crushed this thing. We also fought a Cold War that was ended when Ronald Reagan said, bring this wall down, Gorbachev, bring it down. And they did. Uh, the busting up of the Soviet Union is the one of the most important things that happened in foreign policy in the last century. So to have Americans where we claim to have freedom in our blood, we, can't, we claim to be born for the storm, born and bred for not just freedom, but liberty, religious freedom, and that we welcome everyone into our country because we believe that by becoming an American, whatever you have that would be against our freedom and liberty, it automatically is subjugated by the Constitution and your innate rights, the rights that God gives to you that the Constitution protects. So it is stunning that that old geezer was able to switch a, a lever in America's psyche that normalizes socialism and that only could have been done with the help of Nancy Pelosi's Democrats and their 30 year onslaught on K through 12 education. So he doesn't get all of the credit, but he took it to the ballot box and he didn't win, but he won in another way because now everyone's like, I'm a socialist. And they think it's so cool. Uh, by the way, when people say I'm a socialist, they're basically admitting that they're dumber than a bag of rocks. We'll go into that another show. So here are these two anchors, and I want you to listen to them as they try to uh, parse this thing out. And I didn't do all of the audio because I'm not trying to punish you. It's Friday, and you want to have a good time, don't you? You're going into the weekend. You want to slide into the weekend on a good note. So you're only going to have to listen to this for a minute and five seconds. But you got to hear what they're saying because they can't even figure out what's going on. It's like they just woke up in somebody else's America, and it's liberal, but it's not the liberalism they thought they were going to get. It's number two. Top 2020 Democratic hopefuls have been following Bernie Sanders' lead on many progressive policy, policy stances. But last night, 
Senator Sanders said that people in prison, even terrorists like the Boston bomber, have the right to vote while they're in mm-hmm. prison. <laughs> D. Lemon, what's your take? Uh, I'm stunned. As you can see, you can see on, on our faces and the responses. Listen, I'm glad we asked the question. I'm glad you asked the question uh, first to Bernie, and then we um, talked to the other candidates, the subsequent candidates who came on. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. I think... Um, I think you were right that it's going to be a campaign for those who said either, yes, they should be able to vote even the the most awful people among us, or we should have a conversation about it. I think it's going to be an issue. Senator Kamala Harris said that she has now revised her opinion in saying those who are in prison, no, No. they don't get the vote. No. Well, last night, that's not what she said. But she is. Listen, she can revise her position uh, and change her mind, or maybe she just didn't um, get it out last night. Uh, maybe she just didn't get it right last night. Isn't that what you meant to say, D. Lemon? Hey, D. Lemon, are you trying to smooth things over for your girl, Kamala, because she's one of you or you're one of them or whatever y'all, whatever thing y'all got going on? I'm telling you, it's they're trying to smooth it over because what little listeners and viewers they have left, those people are looking and they're like, I thought I heard him say that the Boston bomber who blew people's legs and arms off should be able to vote. And people are sitting around, they're like, <laughs> yeah. Bernie Sanders said that people who go to prison after they've killed somebody or raped somebody or kidnapped and killed somebody's child, those people should be able to, um, yeah, vote. Now, you can be a dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore, liberal ignoramus and still understand that if felons can vote, that means voting's not really that special. Voting's not a privilege and an honor and a duty and a responsibility. It's just something anybody can do. If you can vote from prison, then voting is just imagine how many Americans will be like, you know what? I don't do stuff that felons do. That's the whole idea behind being a felon and being in jail is that you can't do stuff that regular people can do. If felons can vote, then they can own guns. Felons can own guns in prison. If felons can own guns in prison, why can't they have conjugal visits and have their families live in prison with them? If they can do all of that, why are they in prison? If they can do everything that you and I can do, then why are they felons? Right? What is the point to living a clean and upright life and abiding by the laws and not giving into every base animal instinct that we as human beings are prone to have without the Savior if Once you get to prison, you can do everything everybody else can do. The whole idea of prison is like an adult timeout, only it's way worse, like horribly worse. Like it's totally worse. Right. So I I just want you to understand that I don't think there's an, an opportunity. There's no way that Bernie Sanders believes that felons are going to vote. What he is doing is testing his theory from 2016. He made socialism normal. If he can make these strange, outlandish, crazy, nobody's got any synapses firing ideas normal, then he's got a formula to change American psyche until he, he's, he until he's toes up. And I got no anger. Well, I do have anger towards Bernie Sanders. Let me see how I can put this. I want to be completely honest. I have no hatred towards him. So I don't hate Bernie Sanders. I don't like his ideas, but I don't hate him as a person. I I feel like, you know, what he really needs is he needs, you know, only people only come to God because he draws them. If the spirit doesn't draw you, you ain't coming. So what we need is to pray that the spirit would draw Bernie Sanders because a person with that kind of capability to change hearts and minds, wouldn't he be powerful on our side? That's what we need. But until that happens, we have to fight. We have to pray. We have to fight. And I'm going to go into that today as well. I, I'm so excited. I found um, I, I, it's a really interesting uh, piece. It's something written by someone many, 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 many decades ago. And I was reading it this morning, and I just got fired up. I had to turn on my praise and worship music in my hotel room and get a little bit of rejoicing going on because I was like, wait a minute. I've never even heard of this man. And he's, he's a, a man of God, a, a preacher, teacher. And so I'm going to give you some of that in the next segment. And then last segment, we're going to talk to Cassie Smedley, you know my girl Cassie, we're so tight, we're best buds, we're like sisters from another mister, awesome. So we're going to be talking to her as well. Um, you can go to stacyontheright.com, hit the subscribe button, you can also find more at afr.net and urbanfamilytalk.com. Um, please, don't forget to go to onenewsnow.com, that's awesome stuff over there, we'll be right back with more. 
The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Have you ever known someone who was always negative, skeptical, and full of doubt? I admit, I find these kinds of people frustrating to work with. They see the downside to almost everything. If you say we can do this, they give you 12 reasons why it won't work. And they know somebody else who tried it and it didn't work. Or if you sense that changes need to be made, they declare, no, we need to stay where we are because we're used to it. According to the Bible, that kind of attitude can bring about God's disfavor and anger. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, Moses is engaged in a pitiful dialogue with the children of Israel. The fearful majority have said, don't go into the land of Canaan. They're ignoring God's clear promise that he would give them victory. Here in verse 11, God is speaking and God is angry. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. Here are two warnings related to this passage. Number one, don't ignore what God has done in your history. Then number two, continued disbelief will cause us to be put aside. God says, I will dispossess you. I'm going to push you aside. I'm not going to use you the way in which you could be used because you won't believe me. Here's what I want you to remember today. It's not okay to be full of doubt and disbelief. In fact, doubt and disbelief is sin. To not believe God, to not trust Him, especially when we know what He's called us to do. The Christian life is a journey of faith and obedience. So trust God and get moving. More information about the ministry of Crawford Lorenz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The 2020 census will include a question about citizenship. If the Trump administration wins a Supreme Court battle, three lower courts have blocked the plan. The Supreme Court heard arguments on this case today. Conservative justices are expected to vote in favor of upholding the proposal. The citizenship question could leave millions of uncounted in this year's census. But a number of the more conservative justices noted that the citizenship question has been included on various census forms nearly uniformly between 1820 and 1950, and in a more limited way since then. Justice Kavanaugh noting that the statute passed by Congress gives the Commerce Secretary enormous discretion in putting together the census forms, asked why, if Congress objects, it hasn't already outlawed the question. Quote, why doesn't Congress prohibit the asking of a citizenship question in the same way that Congress has explicitly provided that no one can be compelled to provide religious information? All right, y'all. So this is something for, well, first of all, this is CBS. The clip that you just heard is from CBS. And they had a couple of news packages and then this, um, just a little bit of commentary. And they would call that hard-hitting news, but I, I say it's a little bit of commentary. And they're asking kind of a question, kind of posing it to their viewers because they want people to think about this as some sort of a disenfranchisement. Like they want you to think that by not um, 
by by allowing the citizenship question that there's some kind of disenfranchisement of rights that's going on because it primarily impacts Democratic districts. And and what's interesting about this is that this is the admission that I was talking to you about last segment. The liberals telling the Supreme Court that, um, you know, illegal immigration increases our power. They're like, wait, you can't. We've had this power since 1950. You can't take that away. Have, have you ever noticed, like, let's say an unintended consequence of someone's action means that there's a benefit that's given to one group over another or one person over another, whether it's at work or whether it's among your kids or your grandkids. One person's getting a benefit of something that was meant to, uh, you know, uh, there's something that's not getting cleaned up or there's something that's not getting accomplished. So you say that person should do it. And then by that person doing it, in addition to their workload, they have uh, it, there's an imbalance that uh, some people are getting off scot-free. But that goes on for any length of time. If you propose to rectify it, then the people who are getting the unintended consequence, the benefit of that, are going to immediately be like, whoa, 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 why do we have to change anything? This looks good. This works for us. Well, that's what you're hearing from the liberals right now. But it's a little bit deeper than that. Um, now, I want you to, to hear this. And so this is not about the people. This isn't anyone on the right or anyone who's an immigration hawk or is uh, pro-lawful immigration but is against illegal immigration. It's not about feelings or hatred or bigotry. It's not about that. This is about raw power. And when you hear people frame the illegal immigration uh, issue, when you hear them say to you, you're bigoted or you're this, immediately stop and say, now wait. If the person knows you, tell them, did you think I was a bigot before you found out that I was against illegal immigration? Because if you only think I'm a bigot because of illegal immigration, maybe you're deflecting away from the real problem here, which is that the U.S. House of Representatives and various state and local jurisdictions are asking the Supreme Court to join them in making this remarkable prediction. Next year, they argue, unless the court acts now to restrain the Department of Commerce, vast numbers of illegal aliens will violate a U.S. law that has profound constitutional consequences. Now, what am I talking about? Well, this law, this law breaking that will occur next year if the census question is left in, will impact federal elections for at least 10 years. Now, let's put a pin in it for a second and just consider. Have you stopped for a second to think that next year will be 2020? And think to yourself, like, Years and years and years ago, like decades ago, when I thought about the year 2020, I don't know. I thought we'd have like spaceships and stuff. I thought we'd have flying cars and we're going to get there and we're just going to still be driving cars that talk. (laughs) It's like (laughs) we didn't get the sci-fi we were promised. Okay, we'll talk about that on another show. So (laughs) these liberals are saying that the federal agency that's going to have to enforce the law is the problem, not the illegal aliens will be breaking the law. So the constitutional provision that's at stake was actually described in a brief submitted to the the court in the case of the Department of Commerce v. New York. The court has actually, the Supreme Court, actually heard oral arguments on Tuesday. And the House has said the Constitution's enumeration clause as modified by the 14th Amendment confers on Congress the responsibility to conduct every 10 years an actual enumeration of the whole number of persons in every state. So based on next year's enumeration, the current 435 House seats will be reapportioned among the states with each getting a minimum of one. Did you hear that? So next year's census, 2020, will determine which states get how many of the 435 House seats that are available. Obviously, each state will get a minimum of one. So the teeny tiniest of states will have at least one, probably two. So the whole number of persons cited in the Constitution does not distinguish between citizens and non-citizens or legal or illegal immigrants. The census is meant to count literally every person living in the U.S. To carry out this function, Solicitor General Noel Francisco told the court in his own brief that Congress has enacted laws. One broadly delegates to the Secretary of Commerce the power to conduct the census in such form and content as he may determine. So Congress congressionally authorized do they're basically they're duly empowered to legislate to give laws that control how the census will be done right so these legal responsibilities are placed on u.s residents by congress so if for one second in this whole story 
You hear, and you will, you will hear over the weekend, you will hear on Monday, you will hear as the court hears arguments on Tuesday, that this is something that President Trump is doing, and he's big, and he's bad, and he's mean, and he's doing this because he hates people, and he hates immigrants, and he hates people with brown skin, he hates himself, he hates Melania, etc. Well, what does it have to do with Donald Trump since Congress makes the laws that place legal responsibilities on U.S. residents? In other words, Donald Trump's decision to have this question added back in is only possible because Congress has not yet constrained him otherwise. So if Nancy Pelosi wanted to stop the president from doing this, instead of them getting together and suing, was this could have worked, except now we have Neil Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. It would have worked before, but now they're not so sure they're going to get their way. They can't get it through Congress. That's why. Because even Democrats not the ones we see on TV all the time, the loudmouths, but the regular Democrats see the benefit in asking this question. Now, even if she were able to get it through the House, she can't get it through the Senate because the Senate is controlled by the Republicans. And even the turncoats aren't going to vote for this. So individuals who receive the census questionnaire are required by law to answer fully and truthfully all of the questions, and the government must keep individual answers confidential. That is 13 U.S.C. 9A and 221. That's law. Okay, it's not Trump, it's law. So the census routinely asked demographic questions and even California Attorney General Xavier Becerra admitted in his own brief that at some point in the past, it was constitutional for the census to ask and that it could be constitutional again at at some point in the future. What he's saying is it's not constitutional now because big mean Donald Trump. Right. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Um, I don't play one on TV, but I didn't know that laws were legal or illegal based on who was the president. I thought it was just either the law or it wasn't the law. So Becerra, and I'm quoting him, he said, to be clear, California does not contend that each and every past census with a citizenship question was conducted in violation of the enumeration clause or that such a question could ever be proper, never be properly added to any census in the future. Again, big mean Trump means law bad. That's not going to fly with the, the Supreme Court. So. Why are they only arguing this now when Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross decided to include the citizenship question in the 2020 census? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Well, they're saying that and this is their argument. This is what they put on paper and gave they gave it in paper form and argued it on Tuesday to the Supreme Court. They're saying that the citizenship question will cause some people to disobey the law that requires them to answer census questions. So in other words, if you add the census question, people will break the law that says they have to answer. And when they do that, here's his, his question. Here's, here's what the House said to the Supreme Court. No logical leap is required here. Given the potential immigration consequences of being identified by the government as lacking legal immigration status, common sense explains the reluctance of non-citizens to self-identify on a government form. The second premise is that people lacking immigration status do not complete the census form. And if so, certain states and jurisdictions will lose congressional seats and federal funding. Bing, 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 bing. There it is. The California legislature was even more bald. They they were like, we are not hiding this. We don't we're not going to wear a beard. We're shaving our faces. We're shaving our heads. We want you to be able to see us clear and loud. This is their quote. They told the court California is expected to lose at least one seat in the House of Representatives and possibly more. They admitted it. They said, depending on the experts, estimated undercount attributable to the additional question, that number could be as high as a loss of three seats. California would lose three congressional seats. But there's more because I've told you before and I'm not. This isn't me making numbers up because I don't like that kind of stuff. California is one quarter illegal immigrants. Twenty five percent of the people living there are there illegally. So they're going to lose more than three seats. Because many federal pop programs, federal programs are based on population, California and its local jurisdictions will lose significant federal funding. Oh, so that's why you care. <laughs> so it's not just Donald Trump. Now, here's Harris County, Texas. You know, Texans like to give it to you straight. They didn't even mince words. Here's their quote. Given its raw population growth since 2010 of more than half a million people, Harris County is on track to gain an additional congressional seat. But under any scenario, if the reapportionment following the 2020 census, Texas will most likely lose a congressional seat in Congress. It otherwise deserves under the enumeration clause if the citizenship question is added. 
Indeed, Harris County alone has enough undocumented people to populate an entire congressional district. Harris County alone. This is not me making this up. This is the state of Texas speaking to the Supreme Court of the United States, admitting that Harris County alone has enough illegal aliens to populate an entire congressional district. Now, Harris County just told the Supreme Court of the United States that they stand to gain power in the U.S. Congress because they are allowing a half a million illegal aliens to live in their county. They're not trying to deport them. Those people are living there just lock stock, just just as good as you're living wherever you're living. You're in your car, you're at home, you're on your phone, you're jogging, you're biking, you're sitting up with your feet up and a glass of tea. Whatever you're doing right now listening to this show and you're here lawfully and you're a natural born citizen and this is your country, those people down in Harris County are living just like you are. Their feet are up. They're living here lawfully. They're not worried about deportation. They are collecting government benefits and they expect to have congressional representation. The same as you do, natural born citizen. How do you like that? So the Trump administration is fighting back. In their brief, they said the people who are bringing the case against the citizenship question don't even have standing to do so. They're saying their asserted injuries are not fairly traceable to the secretary's decision to reinstate their citizenship question. None of the respondents' alleged injuries will materialize if individuals completely and truthfully answer the census questions. As required by federal law, the alleged injuries thus depend not just on a third-party action, but on third-party action that is unlawful. So the Trump administration is saying, if you want to keep your congressional seats and your apportionment under the enumeration clause, simply have your illegal aliens answer that they are illegal aliens and they will still be counted because if they answer the question, they will be counted and the apportionment will go forward as planned. Now, the unintended consequence of that, obviously, is that if the illegal aliens obeyed the law and went home, California and Harris County, Texas would lose congressional seats. If they obey the law and answer the question, the federal government would then have the address of every single illegal alien living in the country and would that would help speed deportation. In any case, the only negative here is if the Supreme Court suddenly loses all of their synaptic activity and says we're siding with the Democrats and you can't have this question, which would be unconstitutional because the question was constitutional before. So they would have to give a valid reason for why it is no longer constitutional. And Trump is mean. Trump is bad. Trump is a bigot. None of those things would fly coming out of the Supreme Court. So I took the time to explain that to you. And I know it was lengthy and I was talking fast. I encourage you to go to urbanfamilytalk.com or AFR.net and listen to the podcast. I, I explained that because when we're talking about this with friends and family, people that we love, people that we genuinely want to understand our position, We have to be prepared to give them the down and dirty facts of why it is that we hold the position that we hold. Now, some people aren't going to listen. Shake the dust off your feet and keep it moving. Don't stand there and argue with someone who's calling you names or would not listen to your your points. But if you're speaking to someone who is genuinely interested in why the... Trump administration wants to reinstate this question, why conservatives all over the country are absolutely lockstep with him, why this is important for us as Americans because we're taxpayers and because citizenship is something real. It is real, you guys. Citizenship is something that it's not only coveted, it is something that millions and millions of people are currently stealing from America. And every one of them that is either voting or receiving benefits from the federal government because of apportionment through the census and congressional representation, that's something they're stealing from you. And just like you would not permit someone to ring your doorbell, announce at the door that they were going to come in and clean your house out and rob you unless they did so with force, you you can't be willing to allow these people to do it, okay? And I get all sputtery about this because I know I've... I've emailed back and forth with with listeners. I've met listeners in different places. I know the listeners of this station are just like, y'all are a rowdy bunch. God bless you. God loves it. I believe he wants us to be rowdy, righteous Christians. That's who we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be sitting back in the cut, melting and, and holding back. We're supposed to be out there in the thick of it, in the mix. Rowdy is all get out, getting stuff done for the kingdom. And just like you wouldn't allow someone to come up and announce to you that they were going to rob you blind, you would put up a fight, you'd stop them, 
We have to do the same thing on this issue. That's why I'm asking you, when you pray over your meals this next week, as this comes before the Supreme Court and they begin to consider the issue, please pray for clarity and justice on this issue and that the Supreme Court would rule in a way that respects the Constitution of the United States, which is the Trump administration has congressionally authorized, they're authorized to make this decision. And they should be able to make it without interference from the Democrats and and illegal immigration uh, fanatics. That's just the the way it is. So when we get back, we're going to have Cassie Smedley of the RNC. You stay right there. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. When he first arrived in Jerusalem, Nehemiah laid out a vision for the project, helping the people still living in Jerusalem understand how their country could be renewed and offering evidence that the Lord had opened this opportunity for them. When the outside opposition became more intense, Nehemiah devised a way for the work to continue, strengthening their defenses. He kept a sometimes hopeless and harassed people unified. Although L is the last letter in the acronym SOUL, everything we've discussed springs from it. God's larger purpose is what drove Nehemiah to leave a high position in the king's court to rally a demoralized nation and help revitalize not only their city, but also their relationship to God. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team, from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've seen God open up so many doors for us to help serve and love those who get affected by a natural disaster. As the trees and the wind started crashing down around us, my wife was, of course, very diligently praying, you know, Lord, please be with us. Very simply, we do it because God commands us to love others. I see these volunteers all as a gift from God. And I'm just grateful they're here, you know, helping out. It's a blessing. If you're interested in becoming a part of what God's doing through 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com, click on Get Involved, submit your email address. I've noticed that whenever there's a time in my life when um, things might be a little gloomy, the number one thing that I can do is to go serve somebody. And uh, I would encourage anyone else to, uh, it's worth it. Come out and do it next time if you didn't make it to this one. And um, the Father will really bless you in it. Thank you so much for your prayers and volunteering with 8 Days of Hope. From America's election headquarters. Former Vice President Joe Biden's campaign launch took direct aim at President Trump. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. Biden started his campaign back home in Delaware, shaking hands with pizza parlor patrons and answering a few questions. America's coming back like we used to be, ethical, straight, telling the truth. Day one of Biden's third presidential campaign ended with a Philadelphia fundraiser. Other candidates have already amassed millions in campaign cash. Still, Biden is enjoying early endorsements from senators and members of Congress, but at least so far, not his former running mate. President Obama is staying neutral, but a spokesperson says President Obama has long said selecting Joe Biden as his running mate was one of the best decisions he ever made. In Washington, Jared Halpern, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. I'm so excited to get to speak to Cassie Smedley, RNC National Spokesperson and bestie of mine. Cassie, thanks for joining in today. Well, hey, friend. It's been a minute. I know. I'm with you. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking when I, when I looked at my email, I was like, yay, Cassie. So, first of all, are you ready for Joe Biden to massage your shoulders and sniff your hair? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's not where I thought you were going with that. I was like, yes, I'm ready for Joe Biden. No, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, neither am I. My husband actually said, he was like, men who act like that get punched. <laughs> <laughs> Good man, your husband. So, yes, let's, talk about, let's talk about this announcement. I, I And we knew it was coming. Um, I, I guess for me, I did think he might not be as tone deaf. He might think to himself, mm, this this is bad for me. But he he feels like he's weathered the storm. Um, do you think he has? Well, no, certainly not. I think the greatest storm for Joe Biden is coming now. If he thought his last couple of attempts at running for president 
were disasters. This is going to be a Cat 5 disaster because in his belaboring of this announcement, all that's done is allowed not just us, but every Democrat candidate in the race to stockpile all of their Joe Biden blunders. It's like a best of Joe Biden blunders on the Internet this morning. Every foreign policy position he's been on the wrong side, every bizarre comment he's made, to say nothing of the montage of uncomfortable moments he's had with women. Everyone has been waiting for this moment. And unfortunately for him, if he had just gotten in, I don't know, when he was first thinking about it, probably a couple of years ago at this point, um, but now, because he's waited so long, it's just the deluge of all of this. And I think this is what we're going to continue to see, because the the other Democrats in this race, the far-left socialists, don't want him here. And they are going to do everything they can to nullify his candidacy as quickly as possible. Mm, OK, so I love that you're... <laughs> You're drawing all of this together for the because the first fight, I think we forget. I keep looking forward to um, Biden versus Trump and how Trump will make memes about him and tweet images. You know, like it, everybody loves cat gifts and stuff like that. But it'll be gifts of Trump, like doing popular dances. They'll just put his head on another guy's body in a suit dancing. And then he'll, he'll be running around. He'll be the little chicken gif where he's he's a chicken and he's chasing this dog around and he's yelling things at it. All that kind of stuff is going to happen. And Joe Biden will be the recipient of all of this really well-timed, fantastically funny um, mockery. But you're saying before that ever happens, right, Cassie, he's going to get eaten alive by his own side. Oh, yes. I love President Trump's tweet that said, welcome to the race, Joe. You've got a whole lot to get through. And if should you weather this primary and survive it, I'll see you at the starting line. But I'm telling you right now, these people are ruthless that you're running against. And they, um, again, they have stockpiled all of your blunders. And that's the greatest gift of Joe Biden to any political opponent is that he's got decades worth of blunders to, uh, to point out to people. And for the Democrat Party today, many of those blunders are that he's not radical enough for them. And so that's a real he's. He is a uh, as liberal as they come. There's nothing moderate about Joe Biden on paper. And yet he is not enough for today's Democrat Party. And they don't again, they don't like that he's in the race because he's not where the Democrat Party is today. So I see him trending on Twitter, Cassie. <laughs> this is where it gets so funny. It's Uncle Joe is trending 14,100 tweets. And then Joe Biden is tweeting with or, or trending with an, another bunch of tweets. Um, there's actually a CNN video um, where Joe Biden consoles Meghan McCain. That's the top news bit that Twitter is, is putting out. And then as you scroll down, it's conservatives, it's Democrats, it's it's everybody is in on the fun. And it's videos of him doing stuff. Some of them are really like positive about him desegregating school buses and crime bill and um uh, some of them are really negative, but whatever they are, he is on everyone's lips right now. Well, because we've been waiting for this moment for so long. But if you look at the video that the GOP put out, the president very generously retweeted. So it's getting a lot of traction right now. But it's backwards, not forward. The reality is Joe Biden, like I said, has generations of positions that he's going to have to answer for. But even more recent than that, he is very closely tied to his BFF, the BFF who won't endorse him, but his BFF, Barack Obama. <laughs> and the blunder that was his eight years of presidency, whether it was the red line in Syria or the stagnant economy. They were unable to get any growth going despite the trillions of taxpayer dollars that they put into government-funded programs. And he's responsible for that. He has to answer for that. And that's the reality of the Joe Biden candidacy, is that it is failed policy one after the next. And when you look at what we've got going now, you know, this week, another stock market record. We're going to have another uh, GDP, first quarter GDP, still expected to be. It's, it's funny, we've gotten used to wanting to see big numbers, but mm -hmm. we forget that during the Obama stages, it was era, it was just something to get a positive number and not, a, not going backwards. But that's what you get with Joe Biden. His ideas, his positions have a record of taking our country backwards. And with President Trump, his record is forward. It's growth. It's improvement. It's enthusiasm. It's jobs, wage growth. And I know the president cannot wait 
to be on the stage with whomever the Democrats can muster to run against him. But if it's Joe Biden, I know he will have a great time saying that blunder that you and Barack Obama did. I reversed that. That blunder you and Barack Obama did. I I changed that for the better. I know he can't wait to lodge that comparison because there's such a wealth of failures uh, from the Obama-Biden era of which to choose. Well, Cassie, my recommendation is that people get their popcorn options ready. Obviously, you can have plain (laughs) popcorn that you add salt and pepper to. You can get a little fancy and get your own seasonings um, like Mrs. Dash, and you can sprinkle that over plain popcorn. But you can also (laughs) go caramel. You can go kettle corn. You can go chocolate drizzle. You can do puppy chow, which is a homemade concoction of, you know, powdered sugar and Chex Mix. And you can throw popcorn into that. Um, drizzle chocolate over it. I mean, if you're not into sweets, you can just put the plain popcorn and you can have some dipping sauce (laughs) next to it, like ranch. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with it. You're going to need some snack options, and popcorn is so versatile, you can put it in a Ziploc bag and carry it with you so that whenever you want to, you can just go to Twitter and see what people are tweeting about Joe Biden and laugh at the memes and eat your popcorn. I mean, am I right? Is is it time to start considering what you're going to bring with you to, to, to make this fun? That's right. The lesson is don't be caught without snacks because you're <laughs> going to need them as you watch all of this. Be prepared. But I do think that as much as Joe Biden is, oh, that's just crazy Uncle Joe, he really does have, and I know I keep saying it and I sound like a broken record, but not only does he have a record of policy blunders, but when you put him against this Democrat field, they all have a record of really radical positions that Joe Biden Remember, he said, I'm the most progressive guy in this race. (laughs) So he's trying to say, I'm more radical than Bernie Sanders. I'm more radical than Elizabeth Warren, Kate Buttigieg, all these people who are happily showing their radical stripes. So I think as much as we need to tune in and, yes, bring snacks, we need to really be listening to what they're saying because it's very serious, the proposals that they, they think would be good for our country and there's nothing good about them well cassie you're not at all yeah i i think the the point that you're stressing is worth people hearing Uh, and and to understand it in context you're actually describing how joe who's he people call him crazy uncle joe but that's actually a term of endearment for him like people like him but when he says he's the most progressive he doesn't actually agree that bombers terrorists and rapists and murderers should vote He's I mean, he doesn't come out on that yet, but I'm willing to bet, you know, you know, good, hard American cash that he's not going to be in favor of that. You know, you're too far to the left or too far to crazyville when you've got CNN anchors like Don Lemon and uh, Chris Cuomo wondering. Yeah, Yeah. Chris Cuomo, one of the most idiotic people in the world when it comes to policy and stuff. He seems to be a fantastic husband and dad, but he has no brains when it comes to what would make a working, functioning uh, you know, constitutional republic like ours. And he even thinks that Bernie Sanders has gone too far. And so now they all have to kind of find a place to the left of Bernie Sanders. Well, there's no room. So slightly to the right of Bernie Sanders. Well, that part's pretty crowded because everyone seems to be rushing over there. And then you have Joe Biden, who basically because he hasn't weighed in on a lot of this stuff, he is a bit of an outlier. But if you look at his record, it's a record of failure. And the, his best friend, his bro, as you're pointing out, Cassie, Obama, who literally they made videos about their love, their their friendship, their, you know, it, it was just a friendship for the ages. This dude is for Kamala Harris. And so Joe Biden doesn't even have him in his back pocket. Yeah, it's really pretty astounding that Obama's really having to work hard to work around that lack of endorsement. But I think um, it's interesting that for Joe Biden to have to beg and plead with people to see him as progressive as the rest of the Democrat field (laughs) is, A, stunning to think about how radical the Democrat field is, but also that's another line that Joe Biden is not the right candidate for today. He might have been somebody who could have made a true run for it in the 80s had he not plagiarized his speeches, but that his time has passed. And uh, as someone else noted, Joe Biden is a likable guy, so he should have stayed off the ballot and instead barnstormed the field as a surrogate for Mm. the eventual nominee, because people do like Joe Biden, but we don't like his policies, not on the left and not on the right. There is no home for Joe Biden in today's, uh, today's executive branch, today's government. 
uh, he's just out of tune, out of touch, out of date, frankly. And uh, and I think that that will come to come to light pretty quick as people do start to force him to get in on these issues. I think it's 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 incredible that we're talking about voting rights for prisoners for terrorists, mm. and that that became a big topic of conversation this week. And when Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, who, by the way, is not moderate either, <laughs> Mark's father ensured that he's got some really radical views as well. So don't be fooled by his nice guy routine. But when he said, well, no, I don't think prisoners should have the right to vote, and that got applauded. And you're like, what world are we living in? That that was, oh, thank goodness there was a common sense answer tonight. That the mainstream, that the Democrat feel the mainstream position now is that prisoners should have the right to vote. Mm. that's really something that um, I can't believe that is a conversation in America today. Well, so do you feel like, um, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Cassie, because I, before I let you go, I know you're so busy and I'm so glad that you're able to spend time with me today, but I just, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, this is what I posed earlier. I, I feel like because Bernie Sanders has kind of taken a victory lap on normalizing socialism in America that he wants to normalize some other things that up until now have been unthinkable, like rapists and murderers and terrorists voting from prison, not after, but from prison. Is this just an attempt by him to see how far he can push the envelope and how much he can normalize? Or are we seeing him really actually pose this as something he believes? Oh, I think we are just sitting the tip of the iceberg of seeing what Bernie Sanders believes. The things that he has been, we've always known him as a transparent socialist, but now to look at, he's going, well, this works. Let's see what else I can let them know. Because these are beliefs, we know that he's got a long-held belief in socialism. He refuses to condemn Maduro, the illegitimate leader in Venezuela. There's nothing, he's so unapologetic about his views, and I think he's enjoying this moment to pop open the hood and say, look at the rest of me. But I think that is important is to say, if you thought this was a crazy position, look at all the rest of my positions. Because there's not a single position that Bernie Sanders holds that's pragmatic, that's something uh, moderate and agreeable. To, it's not every single position he goes to the extreme. And it's very concerning that we have people in our, this country who aren't willing to do their homework on that and say, what is he really advocating for here? Um, and I think that's the challenge of this 2020 election, whether it's through the Democrat primary or whoever makes it to, to the main stage. One thing we know with President Trump, we know exactly where he stands on things. He talks directly to us. He is unfiltered, like him or love him or leave him. We know exactly where he is and where he stands. And I think we're just starting to see that with the Democrats. Um, frankly, thanks to President Trump, because there's no room for, you know, uh, for poll-tested talking points anymore. <laughs> you have to be someone who's willing to go out there and speak with the American people like President Trump does. And now that that's the trend, we're hearing a lot of things that uh, previously they were advised not to disclose, and now these Democrat candidates, Bernie Sanders chief among them, uh, are just letting us know all their feelings on mm -hmm. all the things, and it's really, really extreme and something we need to be very aware of. Yeah. Well, but you know what, Cassie, there's an unintended benefit here, you know, because sometimes when you see bad news, you're like, man, this can't get any worse. But it, it, it actually can get better. And that is at no point in the history of this country, I think, have we ever had a president running for reelection who was better equipped to deal with the kind of craziness that's coming from the left. President Trump is not afraid of their radical ideas. He relishes them. The, the crazier the idea, the better it plays for him when he's mocking it and laying out his own common sense plan. And he's so, for someone who's so successful and wealthy and really kind of outside of mainstream, like we wouldn't bump into him anywhere, um, President Trump is really good at getting down to brass tacks. And I'm so glad because he's going to need brass tacks, brass bullets, brass bombs. He's going to need it all. Uh, to go up against these crazies. Cassie, thank you for joining us today. Cassie Smedley of the RNC. You're awesome. Oh, thank you, Stacey. My favorite time of day. Thank you so much for all you do. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk to you again soon. And I've been so glad to be with you broadcasting from Tupelo from the actual home studio, the original studio of American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. God bless from the heartland. Have a great weekend. <laughs>